One of the commonalities that binds us together as religious liberals is the idea of optimism. James Luther Adams tells us that liberalism holds that the resources, divine and human, that are available for the achievement of meaningful change justify an attitude of ultimate, if not immediate, optimism. Optimism and hope are not just wishful thinking. As many are now starting to theorize, hope is actually a process by where we gather tools in our toolkit, emotional and spiritual and psychological, and we use them as resources when things are difficult. And using our tools to survive the difficulties renews our trust, our faith, our confidence that we will be able to survive again and again. And this is the process that creates hope and optimism. Our resources as a faith community for justifying our optimism are really two, I think. One is religion, our Unitarian Universalist, Unitarian Universalist, Hopedale community, Hopedale Unitarian Parish religion, and our resiliency, our ability to bounce back. Religion binds us. There are those who argue the etymology of religari and that it's the source of the word religion, but even if it isn't, I really like it that way. Because religari is to bind fast, to hold together. It was even used to describe ships moored safely in the harbor. And that's what our religion does for us. I've never been a big fan of the saying, I'm spiritual but not religious. I've always considered myself spiritual and religious. I think that our spirituality comes to its fullest realization when we live out that spirituality in community with others. Part of what we are bound to here together is the religion, the practice of Unitarian spirituality, Universalist spirituality, the practices of the long history of tradition we inherit from those two things, as well as the practices we inherit and the history we inherit of being bound to Aidan Ballou and the Hopedale community and Hopedale Unitarian Parish as its successor. When we are bound to each other and to our religious history and our religious values, our optimism and hope are tied to having trust in something larger than ourselves. And I think that in itself helps feed our ability to trust in that ultimate optimism. One of my favorite podcasts every week is on being with Krista Tippett. And this week's program she had on the columnist David Brooks and E.J. Dion from the New York Times and the Washington Post, respectively. And they talked about public theology. They talked about how our public theology and our politics intertwine. 
And one of the things they agreed upon was that church and state should be very separate things. The church should not run the government. However, and I agree with them on this, religion and politics can't be separated. Church and state, yes, but religion and politics can't be separated. Religion can't be separated from your politics if you take your religion seriously. What binds you to the past of your spiritual practice and values? What binds you to others who currently practice and hold those spiritual values? Evangelical Christian public theologian Brian McLaren wrote a book called Everything Must Change, in which he argues that for Christians, if you take the gospel seriously, everything changes. The way you view other people, the way you view the systems of the world. And he created what is now called in the evangelical world, generous orthodoxy. There was not for him and many others a giving up of things like the bodily resurrection and the atonement of Jesus for sins and stuff, but the shift in what that meant for how you engaged others was profound in the evangelical world. And if you take the words of Jesus seriously, you can't hate somebody because they're gay. You can't deny the science that makes, wants to make our environment healthy. If you take all that stuff he said seriously, everything changes. You can't be a person of hate and intolerance and not caring about the world. If you want to love your neighbor as yourself and want to do that seriously, boy, does that have to color how you react and interact with others on the most personal and most public levels. I think Aidan Blue would have liked his book because he was a great example of this. He listened to the teachings of Jesus too, and he didn't spend his life so much trying to make others believe like he did. He spent his life trying to be an example of what it looked like to live out those teachings. And in this way, our politics and our religion at times cannot be separated. Because in our interactions with the world and the decisions we make for our communal life together, how can our input to that not be based on our most profound spirituality and our most profound values? Reading his autobiography and the history of the Hopedale community, one of the things that strikes me, and I think has struck other people, is that his autobiography is very much an interior journal. It, it's really a lot about his internal thinking and feeling about his theology and how that played out in his life. Whereas the history of the Hopedale community is a very external document. It's people, places, arrangements, agreements, this happened, that happened. Peter Hughes, in the introduction to the autobiography, says, Ballou's history of the Hopedale community is a record of an experiment in trying to find an American way of living that lies between the extremes of unfettered capitalism and authoritarian communism. And isn't that the exact public struggle we're going through today? That we've learned that unfettered capitalism leaves too many out if we're going to treat our neighbor as ourselves. 
And yet authoritarianism stomps on everybody too if we're going to treat our neighbor as ourself. But finding the middle way and practicing it is really difficult. And I wonder sometimes, especially listening to Krista Tippett this week and the political columnists, that maybe part of our troubled American discourse is not that we are too religious, because it's easy to see a lot of the very strict American Christianity of intolerance that's become so much a, so much a part of our discourse. It's so easy to see that. But maybe our problem isn't being too religious. Maybe it's not being religious enough in our political discourse. That we enter into the politics of our time based on our most profound, deepest values. And those values that we hold as Unitarian Universalists based on our principles and purposes and the sources from which we draw spiritual encouragement really ask us to do a lot of amazingly radical things. The dignity and worth of every single person, even people we don't like even people whose politics are the exact opposite of ours. Maybe if we start with that, and we're a little more religious in our interacting with the world, we might see ourselves and others and our problems a little bit differently. Because one of the things that is very true is that you cannot legislate morality. Whatever our public political arguments are about policy and laws, law is only a lowest common denominator. You can act very within the law and treat people very much not like your neighbor. In fact, we've grown into such a culture of utility that we use structures and people for what they do for our gain and our own advancement and placement, instead of seeing each other as ends in ourselves, holy with dignity and worth as other creatures on the journey, that we get to a place of utility where we even value and admire skirting the rules and the law if it helps us achieve power or wealth or position. Baloo didn't have any of that. He wouldn't have stood for that at all. He was so centered on living out of his religious values that he advocated not even participating in the state. Think about that. He tried to create a community that led with its ideals and that living by these would then create the community that reflects those values. And as much as we try to do it the other way, we find it doesn't work. Brooks and Dion, the columnists this week on, on that radio program, they argued you can't legislate ethical behavior. Your law always follows the development of the people in developing their, their ethics and their conscience and living it out. You can't mandate the legality of marriage equality or the right to choose, and then have it trickle down to everybody's thinking and practice. What you got to do is change enough hearts 
that it becomes obvious that your law has no choice but to match up with your values. And with those two things, it's kind of where we've gotten. And our struggle now in our engagement with our values and the body politic is to remember to start from there and keep it there so we don't lose things like that. The values beyond law, beyond utility, that bind us to each other and our past are summed up for us in our faith tradition with our principles and purposes. If we focus on how we are bound, our religion, to our foundational teachings, and how we're bound to each other through them, they can have as profound an impact on us as Baloo's rules for his community did for him. We talk about seven principles in Unitarian Universalism all the time, but I don't think we give a lot of pause to how radical they could make us live, how everything must change if they're at the center of who we are. The inherent worth and dignity of every person, people who commit horrible crimes, people who say atrocious things, people who hurt me. Justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. How does our daily living, how do the rules, the laws, the policy I advocate as an individual, how do they bring what is fair and equitable and kind to everyone else who has that inherent worth and dignity? Acceptance of one another, not tolerance, acceptance of one another, which means with all the faults and all the ways you may have hurt me, and all the things I may have done imperfectly to you, not to tolerate you and let you be even though I don't like you or don't think much of you now. The acceptance of each other. A free and responsible search for truth and meaning. This is not a place where we can believe whatever we want. You cannot believe in the worth and dignity of every person and justice, equity, and compassion, and also believe in the inferiority of some group of people. Our religion is intimately tied with how we express ourselves and our opinions in the political and cultural world. The right of conscience and the use of democratic processes that no one can tell another person or assume another person what is in their heart. We have the fundamental right to that conscience. And we have a right to a democratic process. And we have the responsibility to figure out how that democracy works best in its implementation. Because even the founders of our country understood that sometimes the majority, all riled up in human Weakness can make some very bad decisions. Slavery, not letting women vote, etc., etc. The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Not peace, liberty, and justice for our country and everybody in it. World community. Right? Stuff we think of in the realm of science fiction. When people can go in the Starship Enterprise and represent an entire planet all working together just to find new information 
and explore existence. I think people miss that in that show a lot. It's like they've given up on utility and trying to get rich and trying to have power over each other. Respect for the interdependent web of existence. One of the real ironies of Unitarian Universalism is part of our tradition developed this whole you know, Emersonian self-reliance thing, an independence of the individual, my independent free conscience. Well, all that independence gets pretty lonely and all of us needs everyone. Nobody does it alone. No person, no culture, no group, no country. We are interdependent on one another. So it's a good thing we want to give everybody dignity and worth and we try to be compassionate because none of us does this alone. Think about those. They're so easy to read off a list. And if you want to live those out every day in your life, that calls you to a pretty high standard. And I don't know about you, but I fail at it every day in a number of ways. But any mission I want to have to live that way, any mission you can have at all that you can't fail at, isn't one worth having. Those things that hold us in our religion, that bind us to each other and to our past, and the whole history of development of this faith tradition, that's a pretty high thing we're asked to do. It's a pretty high calling. Fairly demanding when you stop and think about it. But worth it. Think about what it looks like the better and better we get at trying to live that out and practice it. Religion is a powerful source for our journey. Just looking at those principles like that, I hope, makes that obvious. So this religion in and of itself is a source of hope, a reason to believe in ultimate optimism. And yet, religion requires community, and living in community can be difficult, as the Hopedale example also teaches us. So another source of hope we practice as a community and as individuals, is that of resiliency. It's a great resource. Resiliency. Andrew Zoli, in his book Resilience, defines resilience as the ability to survive, cope, change, and adapt, and bounce back. He says different fields use the term a little differently to mean slightly different things. In energy, resili engineering, resilience generally refers to the degree to which a structure like a bridge or building can return to a baseline state after being disturbed. In emergency response work, it suggests the speed at which critical systems can be restored after an earthquake or a flood. In ecology and biological systems, it connotes an ecosystem's ability to keep from being irrevocably degraded. In psychology, it signifies the capacity of an individual to deal effectively with trauma. In business, it's used to mean putting in place backups of data and resources and cash reserves to ensure continuous operation in the face of natural or other disasters. These all have a commonality, continuity, recovery in the face of challenge and change, and the ability to bounce back. 
To improve resilience is to enhance the ability to resist being pushed from your preferred state and valley in life while expanding the range of alternatives you can embrace if you need to. It's what resilience researchers like Zatoli call preserving adaptive capacity, the ability to adapt to change circumstances while fulfilling your core purpose. And it is an essential skill in the 21st century. Once forces have compelled you to a new circumstance, it may be impossible to return to a prior environment. There won't be the same thing there was before. There will be a new normal. And you bring your history and previous life along with it as you spiral onward. This long view of resistance takes into account this life cycle of systems where there's growth and then there's conservation because all systems love to maintain homeostasis, right? But then there's release either by force or by circumstance or intentionality, there's release of that conservation and the release of the homeostasis and the status quo. And in natural systems, we see it around us right now. The leaves fall, things decay, and they go a little dormant. But they reorganize again so they can grow again. So there's growth conservation, release, reorganization, and growth, and you keep spiraling on. We all go through this. Our personal growth brings us to a point, and we want to stay there. All systems want to maintain the status quo, but at some point, each of our lives and each of our systems either fails or plans to let go and reorganize and do something else. Our culture now recognizes that this is the way life is going to be for us going to work. It used to be you'd get a career and you'd stay in your career, sometimes even at one company, till you were retirement age and retire. Now the average number of jobs they say millennials will hold in their lifetime is 12 or 14 or whatever it is now, right? But it certainly wasn't the one or two of previous generations, right? So we now teach people as they go to college to prepare for this, for this reorganization that things will grow and stay a while and release and have to reorganize and change. All our lives do this. I doubt there's anyone in our church this morning who can say, right now in your life, right where you're at, it's exactly where you thought you'd be at this stage when you were you know, 18. Right? We all go through this cycle. So resiliency thinking is a new way of looking at this as this is a natural way to learn how to bounce back. Brian Walker says, resilience is the capacity of a system, whether it's your individual system or a group system, to undergo change and still retain your basic function and structure. The capacity to undergo change without crossing a threshold into a completely different system. How do you reorganize to maintain the core of who and what you are and go on and face the new challenge? And one of the things resilience thinking teaches us is that failure is okay. Failure is intrinsic, healthy, normal, and necessary to complex systems. We need systems that are better at sensing the emerging pathways, that encourage cooperation rather than division. 
We need systems where a failure in one component of the system does not bring down every other component of the system. That's Andrew Zoli again. He says, in a sense, it's a, it's a design brief for our individual lives and for working together in the 21st century. Over the years, many things have changed in our system here in Hopedale. There have been remarkable failures here. Socialist Farm failed. The company and the town and the factory, in a sense it failed. It moved out of town and the system went again and had to reorganize. The cross left the chancel and went over here. The majority of our people wouldn't even identify as Christian anymore. That would have struck Aiden Blue as somewhat crazy. Yet, this system is resilient. It has continued to reorganize itself to do whatever is necessary to keep the history, the religion that started it going and take it to the next place. All of us share things in common. This resiliency is now part of our religion that binds us together. It works with covenant and the promises we make to each other and our agreements to put love and spiritual development and community and service at the center of our lives. We say that every Sunday. Resilience is in of itself a spiritual practice and one of the practices that helps it is to actually practice intentional change. If a spiritual practice is something we do with depth, intentionality, regularity, and dedication is something larger than ourselves, we can see our practice of resilience and change that goes with resilience in that cycle as a spiritual practice. When we understand that change, at least gradual, constant change, is the spiritual playing field, we approach the challenges of change, such as dealing with loss and insecurity and new opportunities for growth and learning, as a deep, intentional, regular practice of what living and life in a faith community is all about. That was the last time I ever had the last word on anything. I was the last word in UU world with that sentence. Each of our lives is a process of negotiating change, of making decisions along that cycle of growth and conservation and release and reorganization and growth. It's the life cycle for each one of us. It's the life cycle for our community, for our congregation. Resiliency and change as part of our religion also gives us hope and lets us believe in that ultimate optimism. This congregation has been resilient since its inception as the Hopedale community. Sometimes the release and reorganization has been more difficult than at others. But this congregation has always done it and done what it needed to do to get to that growth. In no small measure because we have a faith, a religion, that binds us to our forebearers and to each other a religion on which we can rely when working to conserve and maintain our traditions, and when we release and reorganize to ensure our future growth. 
we have a strong religion here, a strong faith. We are resilient. We have each other. And we have no reason to doubt that hope and optimism in the future is justified as we all work together to create the next chapter in the Hopedale community journey.